Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz with Information Security Media Group. Raise your hand if you'd heard of Signiverse before the news recently broke that the telecommunications service provider had suffered a five-year breach. The breach is a big deal. Tampa, Florida-based Signiverse, helps route calls and text messages for 95 of the world's top 100 mobile carriers, among many others. It handles more than 1 trillion different types of messages per year. Karsten Knoll is the founder and chief scientist at Berlin-based Security Research Labs, which continues to conduct extensive research on the aging protocols underpinning today's internet and communication networks. These include Border Gateway Protocol, or BGP, which was tied to a recent massive outage at Facebook, including its Instagram and WhatsApp properties. Another oldie but goodie is signaling system number seven, which can be hacked to intercept calls or text messages that contain one-time codes, for example, for banks. And then there are text messages. So Karsten, what is your reaction to someone targeting the one firm globally that handles text messages on behalf of many of the world's mobile carriers, both large and small. I'm not surprised that we heavily rely on a few technology providers to provide services across large ecosystems. We do that privately too, right? We all gravitate towards the same platforms for network effects. And just because one platform monopolizes markets uh, easily when it does come to connecting different entities, right? I'm also not surprised that criminal hackers would go after these critical points in infrastructure, right? The lesser known, the better, because then there's less attention, there's less security scrutiny from the public and the customers, right? So all of this uh, comes down to supply chain security, where it's been learned time and time again, especially over the last, let's say, 24 months, that more often you suffer damage by one of your suppliers getting hacked than you yourself getting hacked because of the multiplicator effect, right? If a supplier like SolarWinds on our universe gets hacked, many more companies and ultimately customers suffer from the privacy intrusion than when an individual company gets hacked. Now, in the, in the mind of the professional, supply chain security is the number one topic, but that hasn't trickled down to kind of a, a general awareness that there are technology providers who are basically responsible for the privacy or lack of privacy of virtually everyone. Well, if you're a chief information security officer at even a large company, your threat model might not have included the text messages that your employees are potentially sending to each other. I mean, maybe it did, but certainly, as you said, supply chain security, for people who know security, it's become an increasingly perceived risk. But then you end up with these things like, what do you mean there was one company handling everybody's text messages? There's all these things that can get you, it seems. Yeah, and I think in a specific area of text messaging, people are well aware that text messages can be intercepted from a number of technology mistakes that were made over the years. And well, some of these technology mistakes have been fixed now. It left text messaging with a pretty bad reputation in terms of privacy. However, we do still rely on text messaging for second factor authentication to almost all of our internet accounts. So if I wanted to break into your Gmail, Facebook, Yahoo, whatever account, chances are 
I'm going to find a password somewhere, maybe in a password leak or maybe through phishing. And then all I need is the text message to unlock that. In fact, even if I don't find a password, I can probably click on reset password and all it's going to do is request some generic piece of personal information and the text message code. So the text message is there to unlock the digital identity of almost everybody. And at the same time, it's not a well-paid for or well-maintained service. As a text message can be sent for, for a fraction of a cent in some countries, putting any kind of security dependability on that might be wrong to start with, but that's the situation we are, we're in. And companies, uh, large companies in particular, have not factored it into their risk calculus sufficiently yet. I think NIST several years ago said, don't use text messages for two-factor. And yet, of course, we still see it. We have Google Authenticator and stuff and other apps that people could be using for these text messages. But I know here in the UK, multiple financial services firms don't offer that. They only offer text-based authentication still. So what's the, you know, what, what's the answer there? More regulation, perhaps? to drive them away from text codes? I think it's easy to declare text messaging insecure. However, that doesn't seem to be a viable option that comes with the, with the same properties in terms of functionality. So the one text property that text messages have over everything else is the support network that helps you recover if you lose your phone. So if you lose your phone, you walk into a Vodafone shop, you show your ID card, you get a new SIM card with the same number, you receive those text messages again. If you lose your phone and there's the Google Authenticator on it, how do you recover from that? There's no Google shop that you can walk into to flash your ID card. It's a much more convoluted process, which if it's solved in a convenient way, it again becomes insecure. And if it's solved in a secure way, you will never be able to recover your phone security codes anymore, right? So text messaging just functionally seems to have a monopoly. So through regulation or otherwise pushing people away from text messages, they might not be the, the next meaningful step unless really proper alternatives have been established. You'd mentioned some of the challenges associated with text messaging. I know you've written about signaling system seven before because we saw it being exploited a few years back. Have you seen any large-scale improvements when it comes to locking that sort of thing down? I don't know if you've been looking very closely at that or not. I don't want to assume. Oh, yeah, we, we're, we're definitely following the, the ongoing drama that is SS7 and a technology that was introduced in the 80s and manages to, to survive through all mobile phone generations. So this was introduced as a 2G technology. Today, we're at 5G and a 5G network is still bound to this old standard because of the network effects. To exchange information internationally, like text messages, you need to speak the standard that everybody else is speaking, and the common denominator is SS7. There are better standards. There's diameter, which was introduced as part of 4G, which isn't all that secure, but then there's a standard just for 5G that would solve all of these security issues and nobody's using it. Why would they if everybody else is still on the old standard? So it's a, it's a first mover problem, right? You don't get any advantage from being the only one to support a new standard. So everybody is, is dragged down to that old security level. But while the topic of SS7 security bubbles up in, in the public mind, 
once or twice a year, there isn't much pressure yet for telcos to actually improve. The European Union actually a few years back did an assessment of just European telco operators and how many of those had fixed some of the most blatant issues in SS7. And it was less than 30% who had even tried. Whether successfully or not, that's another question, but 70% of the operators, this is years into the discussion of SS7 security, they had decided that it made no difference anyway. Nobody is being called out particularly. It kind of makes the whole industry look bad. So why would I be the one going above what everybody else is doing? Right? There's an economic disincentive to spend time and money on it if it isn't going to matter. Yeah. I don't think anybody has ever switched their phone contract to a more expensive provider just because they had SS7 security, right? There isn't an economic reason to protect customers because those customers make their loyalty decisions to one network or another based on other factors. Definitely. Do you follow the BGP saga as well? I'm just thinking of the Facebook outage the other day. Yet another old, old standard coming back to get us. Spot on. And SS7 and BGP, they're, they're roughly the same technology generation. BGP might be a, a little bit older, in fact. But with BGP, there's very active monitoring for abuse, which we have yet to introduce with SS7, right? So all technologies shouldn't be relied on uh, blindly. But if you're constantly checking for abuse, then, then abuse becomes much less likely. With SS7, we have yet to reach that point. What else do we need to consider when we're looking at how to address these types of problems? Well, I find the question interesting as to who should be responsible for text messaging or SS7 security. And we kind of put that responsibility on the, on the wrongly incentivized group of, of um, stakeholders, right? We expect the telcos to improve the, the security of their services without anybody being willing to pay anything more for it. And I think we got that the way around, right? Banks were the first to heavily rely on text messaging for two-factor authentication for online banking. Many banks have moved on since then, but they were followed by internet companies, you know, your Twitter account, your Facebook account, all of that. All of these companies are looking for the cheapest option to deliver text messages and not contributing anything to the security of the text messaging system overall. If any of Google, Amazon, Facebook sent a security audit team to Cineverse saying, you are one of the critical providers for our infrastructure, we need you to be secure, that would go a long way of improving the security for everyone, right? But nobody feels responsible for securing this technology. And in that sense, nobody has any right to complain about it being insecure either, right? And maybe to drive that point home. I mean, this, this will not be the first time that you, your readers, myself, come across the problem of, of possibly insecure telecommunications infrastructures. And so we read these stories a couple of times per year at the very least, and yet we have never taken any decision to change it. We've never actually looked into which network could be more secure, which network could be less secure. We've never written a strongly worded letter to our telco demanding or to our regulator demanding more mobile security. And we have not suggested to Google or Facebook that they should start paying for the infrastructure that they so much rely on. Fantastic points. I know we've seen with 
some open source software in recent years where similar problem happened. It was buggy. It got exploited. Everyone went, what, you mean the entire internet ecosystem is resting on this small thing? And we saw some funding finally for these sorts of protocols. Possibly we could get that with a little bit more pressure on some of these telecommunications companies to say, sort this out amongst yourselves, please. Well, if regulatory pressure leads to all communications companies um, adopting certain norms, that would definitely be welcome. And that would just lead to an increase in prices, right? Somebody got to pay for it. And, you know, that might not be a bad thing. But being a market economy, right, I would have wished that, you know, the likes of Google do contribute that budget to, the, to securing the infrastructure that they so rely on. I'll give you an example to maybe illustrate the point that as an industry, we are very keen on pointing out problems, but then nobody feels responsible for fixing them. So there are bug bounties, including for open source software. And there's a, a messenger application, an open source messenger application people use to securely exchange uh, messages over the internet. An extremely popular platform and some big Silicon Valley company has acknowledged that the internet relies on it and put out a $70,000 bug bounty if you find a critical bug into this platform. This is a project that is done in the free time by one guy who has never received any funding whatsoever. And now he's being told that anybody finding a bug in his software gets 70000 for it, right? Speak of perverse incentives. I mean, I know how he can make a ton of cash now, right? But the fact that you first try to tell somebody what all they're doing wrong without ever having offered to support them in getting it right, I think that is a trend that we see globally, but amplified through our attention, which is always on the bad stuff. We never talk about, you know, a company like Cineverse doing a security assessment and now being a notch more secure. We only talk about them the day that they get hacked. And everybody loves to see that news and loves complaining about it. And then nobody steps up to the plate and says, I'm here to fix it. Excellent points. Although getting the whole story can be really difficult. It's all very opaque. You ask a company like Signiverse, how did you spot this breach? What have you done to help prevent it from happening again in the future? And they'll say, we've made improvements. That's all we're going to say, because if we tell you any more, it might give the attackers an edge. Exactly. Well, you can understand it from their perspective too, though, right? That, of course, they feel very insecure and they're relying on a very thin layer of security from, from everything that now transpires. Describing in detail what that thin layer of security is, of course, doesn't help, right? So you shouldn't rely on obscurity for your security, but obscurity definitely helps on top of everything else, right? Yeah. Great points here that you've raised, like bug bounty programs. There needs to be actually a culture of fixing these things in place inside an organization before you get people tell you what else needs fixing. Otherwise, how do you know where to start or to get buy-in or to prioritize? And don't get me wrong. I love the idea of bug bounties. I think, you know, the crowd mind definitely is what we need for security, but putting up a bug bounty for somebody else's software that is not actually security maintained and lacks the resources of security maintenance that might not contribute ultimately more security, but just more discussion on whom is to, who's to blame, right? So what was that messaging app that you were referencing? I think this was, was Pigeon. Let me just um, 
Yeah, so pigeon, P-I-D-G-I-N. Oh, and it's now 100,000. Amazing. That could be a really profitable, albeit illicit, little day job if you worked it out just right. Well, I mean, the programmer himself, he, of course, knows some bugs. And I mean, I don't want to go there, but he could definitely put a bug in and, and have a friend report that one. Right? Definitely perverse incentives. Right? The same seemed to be true for, for text messaging security. That, that's why I mentioned that, that proposition. There's many people have a reason to hack text messaging-based systems, but nobody uh, contributes any budgets to prevent that from happening. What do you call this class of problems like pollution, where if you fix your part of the, the puzzle, it actually doesn't really get better unless everybody else does the same, right? It sounds like pollution. You have to go back to the source of the trouble, don't you? Filtering the water downstream isn't the optimum approach. It doesn't fix the actual problem. Exactly, yeah. Karsten, thanks so much for your time and insights today. Well, Matthew, it's nice speaking with you, yeah. I've been speaking with Karsten Knoll, founder and chief scientist at Security Research Labs. I'm Matthew Schwartz with Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.